Hey everybody, Chris here, and we're taking a small break from the Forgotten Books of the Bible series just to get caught up on some recording and content for all of you guys. But don't worry, we aren't leaving you with nothing to listen to. We decided that we would release one of our very first YouTube series that we recorded back in 2020 called The Conviction Series, where we essentially went through the book of James, chapter by chapter, and talked about what convicted us from it. The audio quality isn't that great on some of the episodes, but we really thought that the content was good enough to overlook some of the bad audio quality we had when we first started up. So we really hope you all enjoy this short series and allow it to do some convicting in your life as well. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Conviction Series. I'm Chris. I'm Murdoch. And today we actually have a very special guest with us. It is our pastor and a mentor to both of us, uh, Pastor Ken Goodman. Awesome to be here, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, definitely. We've talked about you enough. I think it's time to have you on <laughs> oh, the show. You've been talking about me. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Nothing but bad things. Okay. Yeah, I expect a lot in the conviction. Yeah. <laughs> We're going, oh, Pastor Ken well, said then this. You're in the right book. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So we brought Pastor Ken in because as a church, we're going through the book of James. And so we thought it would just be fun to have uh, you here with us to kind of give us pre-messages before you actually do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going through James has really been awesome. Like, I mean, you guys know it's just like every week. It's been right on target with what we're going through. But uh, I'm trying to keep up with you guys. You're already in chapter five. I'm only in chapter four. So I, I came to learn so that I can prepare these messages uh, ahead, but uh, you came I'm, not even be <laughs> I'm not even going to be preaching all this, you know, I just get a segment of it, but... Uh, well, who is preaching on this? Murdoch is going to be preaching on chapter uh, 5, verses 1. 1 through 6. Through 6, yeah. yeah. This whole section of warning to the rich. So, yeah. I'm not sure how much I'll actually say here. Um, it'll be the thing of, yeah, come check out Calvary Bellflower on YouTube. You can catch all of Pastor Ken's messages on James in case me and Chris weren't enough, which we probably weren't. So get all his messages and then you can pick up on the rest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So conviction time. Um, who wants to go first? Because I don't. <laughs> you don't want to go first? Nope. Murdoch, go first. No. Me go first. All right. Well, I'm going to do what you normally do and go kind of towards the end. So I'm going to start with the prayer of faith that happens, starting in verse 13 and onward. So I'm reading out of the ESV. I know you guys have a couple different translations. But is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And especially this part, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So that whole section convicts me for a couple different reasons. One is that when I was a kid, I had like a whole gastrointestinal, they were looking at it, it looked like it was Crohn's disease, which no cure for Crohn's disease, and like I had an abscess that got popped open, I had an open wound for like years, they tried stitching it up, stitches broke open, they tried packing it, that didn't work, I was on IV medications just like eight hours at a time right here at the Kaiser, nothing was working, you know, uh, experimental medicines trying to get it happening, and just dealing with it, and 
I was younger. I was probably like 11 or so. So like, look, don't ride a bicycle. Don't play sports. Don't do those things. And like, that's hard. But nothing was working. And then my parents, and we were at this church at the time, and my parents said, they came across this. They said, you know what? You keep going to the, hosp- to the hospital, to the doctors. Why don't we try this? We actually came, and I'm pretty sure you were in the room. And we came up into one of the rooms over in the other building and did what it said. Took oil, poured it over my head, laid hands on me. And that was by the time that I had actually started acting a fool. So it's kind of like... I wasn't very much in a repentant state during that time, so when I look at my life, it was like, I'd probably already started smoking and had drank and done different stuff, but my parents brought me, and you and others had prayed over me, and it was within that week, the open wound healed up, all of the other symptoms had went away, I went in for a checkup, they basically took Crohn's off of my medical record, they're like, yeah, I guess that's not what that thing is, so that hits me. But then it's a hard thing to look at as far as the conviction goes and say, I've experienced the power of God, you know, in a miraculous way coming in. And just how he's saying, Elijah is a man just like you. But it's the fervent power of prayer, going to God and God will move. I really just look at my life and go, what's my prayer life? You know, I know that the power is real. I experienced it. Am I relying on that in any kind of a real way? You know, what am I actually asking for? Am I praying fervently? Am I going to those situations to where it's like, oh, the world has tried to fix this over and over and over again, and that's not working, but I'm going to pray to God because God says that he'll do something here. I'm going to have the confidence in faith that he will do something here. When God will be honest, it's like, that doesn't happen as much as it should. And when I consider things, it's like, it should happen a lot. (laughs) So yeah, the conviction on that one is really big for me because I've experienced it in such a big way. And then to just go, oh, cool, yeah, I know that that tool works. I'm not going to pick that tool up. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes no sense to me, and it's very convicting. I think what's so interesting about that, and I do remember that, that even you're saying you weren't coming in and saying, I need, like, someone else made the call for you to come in and have the elders pray over you, anoint you with oil. You weren't the person of faith believing that God was going to heal you. And in spite of that, he did. <laughs> so um, a lot of times we, we tend to think that uh, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves like or on the person. You have to have faith. If you had faith, God would take this away or heal this or do that. And it convicts me in this part about the prayer, like you're saying, that, man, I know as a pastor of a church, like I want to experience that more. And I believe it, but I don't really access it. But it's it's seeing that even with like no faith in it or shallow faith in it, God is still at work. And it's really about what God's doing. And so to try to facilitate that process, like your parents, they just read it, but hey, we need to do this. And so sometimes it's the, like in Mark chapter what two, where the four brought the person mm-hmm. and lowered him in it was jesus saw their faith healed the paralytic so there, there's so much involved in that and yeah i'm like yeah look at that and i'm like let's do that let's do it you right know? so i don't know i brought it up Crazy. last week and it kind of it still applies to this it's the the idea of prayer like if prayer is our um if prayer is like our blood uh, as a christian and without blood in the body a person is dead 
So if we have no prayer in our life, then what's our relationship with God like? Uh, and to me, when I read anything about prayer, that always convicts me because I know my prayer life isn't always the best. Even today, you're talking about like, you had a medical thing, you prayed about it. I, my back's been killing me for the whole, like two week, two days. And this morning I put a heat pack on it, did all the stuff I knew I was supposed to do, and then popped in some ibuprofen thinking that's going to make me better. Not once until you brought that up that I think maybe I should pray for my back. Like maybe God could just do that and take it away and I don't need to do that other stuff. But it always seems like prayer becomes like the, the last thing we go mm -hmm. to instead of the first thing I go to. It's like, well, I've done everything else. I might as well pray. We only go to him when we need something or we want something. And he's more like our like genie or healer instead of our savior. And so that hits me that way uh, with that. But I, I like that in here that it's like, it kind of gives a gauntlet of things in the prayer. You know, pray if anyone's in trouble, he should pray. If anyone is happy, sing praises, which is another form of praying. Uh, if anyone needs this or that and it's kind of like prayers and troubles is what I wrote down in my little notes So when we go through troubles like prayer should be our thing But it should just also be our thing in regular parts of life because when we're happy, let's sing praises Let's praise God with our words and actions Yeah, so much in all of this though It really comes in in all of us being fathers when I look at being with my daughter and I was like What would I not do for her? Any good thing that's within my power mm -hmm. to do, I'm going to do for her. Mm -hmm. Not And even going beyond just meeting a need, but something like, oh, you know what? This will just be fun for you. I'm going to give you a fun experience. I'm going to surprise you. You know, whatever those things are. And especially if she comes in, she's like, dad, I cut myself open. Like, I need band-aids. I need... Yes, of course, let's go there. And I just picture sometimes with not going and having that is just cutting myself open and just completely ignoring that God is the Father who would come and bring the healing into that situation, whether it's emotional, relational, physical, you know, whatever those things are. And it just becomes insane at that point <laughs> that it, you know, it really challenges that thing of we're not just studying a book. There really is a living God who interacts with us. If I'm never giving him the doorway in or even, you know, the conviction comes in, Hey, Murdoch, <laughs> now you can come to me with that, right? Yeah, 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 but for some reason I'm not. It, to me, it's just insane. I don't know any other way. <laughs> yeah. Really, to the beauty of the fact that God is telling us as a body to work together as a body to be healthy. Mm -hmm. So he could have said, hey, if you've got a problem, just pray and I'll fix it for you. But he's like, hey, if there's a problem go to the body of Christ that I'm working in. Right, right. And, you know, we, you know, we always talk about being better together, but it's also, it can be a very humbling piece of it, but also uh, healthy for the whole body to see this. Like, wow, like where two or three are gathered, kind of Jesus saying this, there am I in the midst kind of thing. It's, it's, God is actually telling us, hey, do this together, like pray together. You need this together. Uh, because we tend to isolate. Not only do we tend to try to fix ourselves before we pray. <laughs> That's the last resort. Okay, I couldn't fix it. Now let me pray. But this is almost like I need to work on this myself. And he says, this is the part, you know, for me in verse 16, where confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That verse for me always convicts me. And I, I just remember when we were going through with the staff, the cure book, 
and this whole thing about confess your sin before you do it. <laughs> so, that is so genius. Brings, yeah, I was like, <laughs> that is so helpful. Like, and it, But the idea that I'm going to actually tell someone, I'm going to call Chris and say, hey, man, I'm being tempted in this area. Can you pray for me right now? Instead of calling you and saying, man, I messed up. Can you you know, pray for me because now this and this and this, but it's like, hey, I'm being tempted. Can you pray for me right now? And and that's where the healing comes. It's like, you know, in Celebrate Recovery, saying you're only as sick as your secrets. Mm-hmm. And we keep the sickness in when we keep it in and when we don't actually talk to each other about the struggles that we're facing. And this is where he's, man, talking about that, confess your sin to each other. So, you know, I know it's scary when we talk about, okay, let's have confession time. Like, confess your sin, but it's, it's really the idea of you need to talk to someone about it. Mm-hmm. Like, getting it out in the open brings healing. Now, it says healing. It doesn't say forgiveness in that thing. So, mm-hmm. we get forgiveness from God, but there's a, a powerful, healthy element of talking about your struggle, your sin issue, you know, your temptation, your, you know, hurt, habit, hang it, whatever that is, with other people in the body. I know we're all wearing masks, not right now, but you know, in service, it's like get rid of the mask, but like just as a body, taking off that mask and and just being open with each other and seeing that happen. So I know that's even dealing with spiritual sickness, not just this physical sickness part Mm -hmm. like you were talking about, though I've seen it multiple times that we pray for the person physically and they get better and it's like well it says right here but also the idea of spiritual sickness mm-hmm. and health mm-hmm. we should be accessing that with one another way more often than we do and definitely a healthier body through that yeah like in the cure book when the guy finally gets to the point and he's like fine i'm just going to expose myself and he lists off all of his sins like that's why you guys don't want me in this room of grace and the guy in the back goes is that all you got <laughs> i'm gonna one up you with this this and this which is like yeah, because we have a shame over our sins. We don't want to expose that. But when we're all looking at, hey, you know, if we can be honest with our struggles and build each other up, and then that accountability, as soon as I know that you have a problem, I'm going to check in on you because I don't want you to struggle. When you have people checking in on you, it boosts it up. So, yeah, it's yeah. a really good point to bring up. Yeah, I think that, like, that stigma, though, of that people have, there's, like, that wall that needs to get broken down. That um, if I share myself with someone else, they're instantly judging me. And that's why I love that book because that, that whole chapter deals with you just got to get over yourself. And the only thing that's keeping you from sharing whatever you're struggling with is your pride. Either you think you can do it by yourself or you think that everyone's going to think something different of you. So then your pride is my reputation, who people think I am is going to get destroyed when everyone's like, yeah, we know most of that about you anyways. Like, whatever <laughs> right. we've been seeing that for years yeah we're glad you finally said something you know like you just brought stepping up, out of denial yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you brought up um, uh, celebrate recovery and, and most of the time people are like um, you get to that point where like you admit that you had a problem with whatever you're dealing with but that's not a surprise to the people around you like everyone already goes like yeah we know this we see it it's evident in your life and I think for us it's that understanding like okay get over your pride which is the hardest thing we have to do I know personally for myself it is, even when I share stuff with people, it's always like more on a vague term, like, hey, I'm dealing with something, and it's not really saying anything specifically, but most people are going to see it. If I said, hey, I deal with anger, I'm sure you guys have been around me long enough to be like, yeah, we get that, or you've known me long enough to be like, yeah, we see that, like, 
I don't know. I keep hearing you talk about it. I don't really see you get angry. You might be holding on to it. It's because he's talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm getting healed. I'm being healed. I'm doing what the Bible tells me, Murdoch. (laughs) It's about time. (laughs) It only took 38 years for me to figure this out. But I think that's an important part of all of this is that in, in order for us to go to anyone, we have to just address the issues with ourselves and take down that wall of like, is my reputation more important than getting better? And so that's the big question there. Uh, anyone else got anything on that portion? Yeah, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say something about Elijah that really like hit me. Okay. Was that it says, uh, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then Elijah is the person. Like Elijah was as human as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three years and we prayed and came back, right? So it's like, I want to be like Elijah. Well, if you, if you go back in First Kings and read about Elijah, you're like, he was jacked up as I am. And that's nature just like point. ours. That's what he's saying. He's like, uh, it's not, I need to pray more like Elijah. I want to see results and, and fully believe. But uh, Elijah wasn't like a perfect example of always, he was a perfect example of what James is talking about here too. Because I, I feel like, I mean, if you go back and look, you think, and he... Elijah dealt with depression, <laughs> so he isolated, he, he ran, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things. So there's, there's the hope of, when I look at that and say, my prayer life isn't like where I want it to be, I, can, I want to grow in that. So we all have those areas that we don't necessarily feel good, like that's a strong area for me spiritually, that uh, you know, I, can, I can learn from Elijah about prayer, and I, I want to be more like that, but really i'm human and so it's really about what again what god's doing and what god's calling me into wasn't like elijah was the magic man you know god was the one working it was it was in god's will for that to happen and the timing of it and everything but as people we want to do this but again gosh i'm human i i, I struggle with that humanness part and that's that's i think where the confession part comes mm-hmm. in that you said pride Sometimes I struggle with my humanness. I want to be, you know, in some way divine Elijah, powerful, magnificent Elijah. He was human just like me. So, um, you know, get over your humanness, you know, but, you know, don't let that keep you from experiencing that kind of result. So I thought that was a good thing for me to see. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. All right, well, that was the section that I brought up. <laughs> Is there more? <laughs> yeah. Remember, we went to the end. We still got to get to the beginning. All right, Pastor, do you want to bring anything up? Sure. Let's go backwards. Okay. We'll just go, let's, let's stay away from the rich part. Because, you know, Elijah. Burdock's <laughs> going to talk about that. But uh, um, a part that really hit me on the patience part, and I really feel like I'm a pretty patient person except when it comes to myself. Mm. I'm very patient with other people, but I'm not very patient with myself. But when I was reading this, in verse 7, so dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. It's like right at the door. Like, being patient with the, with the process here. But then in, in verse 9, it says, Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, 
or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. He goes on to talk about Job as an example of patience. But when I think about patience as uh, as a person, uh, again, I feel like I'm pretty patient, just personality-wise and, and all that. But when it comes to being patient with myself or with what God's doing in our church, I feel like I'm like, come on, we got to do this. We got to get this going. It's like, we got to get busy doing this and, and putting that and, you know, and all that and, and not being patient with the season of growth or the farmer plants, but the farmer has to wait. He's done his part, but then he's got to wait for God to bring the growth and send the rain at the right time to do the watering and, and all that. So to be patient with God really in that and myself and not become a grumbler, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. complainer in any way. And and sometimes, you know, Chris, you were talking about, I'm a little vague with, with you're talking about, oh, I'm struggling with this. Well, I can be a little vague with my impatience. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I just start maybe getting a little sarcastic with people or myself or snappy or, you know, I can all of a sudden begin to realize, wow, I'm, I'm becoming impatient. And where it's coming out is I'm, I'm starting to grumble about things that are happening in my life in relationship with even my wife or my kids or my grandkids or staff or you know, people in church. And it's so easy to get sucked into becoming a grumbler instead of being faithful and patient in the process of what God's doing in the midst of that. So that was really a convicting part for me as far as just stay patient with what God's doing. I liked a lot of this part because like I experienced this, the the valuable crops, but gardening in the background, we call it farm life, even though it's not really a farm, but um, you got chickens, you got yeah, some yeah, stuff. You, you yeah. live on a farm. <laughs> Go flower farm. Okay, so when we're out there like, <laughs> when we're tending to the soil or doing things, you know, we call it farm life. And we're out there like the kids running around, get dirty, and it's farm life. Uh, we've had watermelon pop up this year and they're getting really good. Gopher took them out. We had cantaloupe. Gopher took them out. There's disease that comes in our uh, zucchinis. The only thing that's doing really great is our tomatoes. And we have way too many of those that we're just giving people are valuable crops. We're just giving them away. But in the planning process, there's excitement when you see the little thing pop up. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's excitement when you see it flower. And then when you see the fruit actually start to show or the vegetable. There's all this excitement in it. But it's the understanding throughout that course is there, there's patience. Because you plant the seed, it takes like a few days for it to even spring up anything. Yet. And then in order for it to flower, it takes more time. And it takes more time. And you are eagerly just waiting for it. And as I'm out there watering or doing all that stuff, there's so much that could just happen. If it overrains, everything gets rotten. If it under rains and it's too hot, everything just gets burned and scorched. The the farm example is so great on patience because it's this kind of you really don't know what to expect every year from a crop. Like every year can be different. One year we got great zucchinis, terrible tomatoes. And it's just it changes. You know, every season brings on different things. But it's just patience. And, and yeah, you know, I do the grumbling with that gopher. I think I talked about it last week. I'm not done with this guy because he's, <laughs> he's like dynamite or thorn. gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's the, like, Pour gasoline and throw a match. Your whole yard will explode. <laughs> but his tunnel's so deep. I'm, I'm picturing Bill Murray somewhere. Yeah. Like, uh, a little caddy shack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he brought that up. Exactly. 
and he's just, uh, but now we have a plan on how to deal with him next year. That's totally off topic. Uh, but there is like grumbling that, oh, we planted and nothing's happening. That we planted and nothing's happening. We planted and nothing's happening. And I find myself, instead of grumbling against other people, I'll grumble against God. And I'll start complaining when I now take this at my life personally. Because, yeah, the older I get, I keep looking at, I'm planting and nothing's happening. I'm planting and nothing's happening. What's going on, God? Where, where are you at? What's the, where are you taking me? And uh, then I start kind of being like the children of Israel. You brought me here just to die in the desert? Mm-hmm. Is that all we're going to do? Is I'm just going to die here in the desert? Uh, but I did find that very odd that it's like, you have to be patient. And then in the middle of that whole patience example is don't grumble against each other. So when I read that, I'm glad you brought it up because that did help me perspectively understand that more. Howdy. This is Sheriff Jay Arkansas, and I'm here to bring order to the wild west of your flesh with some convicting truths. You must be praying all the time. When in trouble, when happy, and when sick, be praying. Don't wait until you sin to tell someone, ask someone to pray for you during a temptation. Remember, confession brings healing. Also, don't forget to be patient. You see, patience works out our trust muscle. So trust God and be patient. Finally, you're either going to waste your life, spend your life, or invest your life. So be generous. This has been Sheriff Jay Arkansas, and you've just been convicted. You notice when he said grumbling against staff, he looked across the table at me? Yeah. I felt <laughs> a little uncomfortable. <laughs> and when he said church members, he looked at you. He didn't look at me. He looked oh, again at you. Man. <laughs> That's me just hopefully trying to project it over there. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to fall into that, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, both of what you guys are saying, another thing that came up for me, though, with patience is patience and doubt. Because God can, like, tell you something, show you something, you're putting hope into something, and when you're not seeing it right away or seeing it how you think that it should be, doubt starts to come in, right? You know, oh God, why'd you bring us here? It's like, obviously, you know, in, the, in Israel, it's like, okay, all those plagues, you miraculously leaving Egypt, you think that he's just going to leave you? It's like, no, but like, grumble, 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 we're out here and complaining and, you know, no patience, and just how much that longer that prolonged everything, because then the doubt moves in and you're not trusting on God. And when you're not trusting on God, then you're not following his path. So patience and doubt is a big thing for me, is that those two things combat when God's asking me to be patient. Or sometimes it's not an ask, it's just a requirement. Mm-hmm. And it was really only the, a couple years ago that something really big hit me, is that when I first got into ministry about 10 years ago, I kind of feel like God had kind of given me a vision for some stuff and kind of how that would look and how it would go as far as the people that I would be able to be working with and things that I would be able to see and just all of that. And for the past 10 years, I just kept feeling like I'm not doing the right thing. No matter where I was, it just felt uncomfortable because I wasn't seeing this thing. Like I wasn't seeing the crop, right? You're looking at, oh, well, the little thing just starts sprouting up and then you get some type of vision for it. It was a thing of, uh, I'm pretty sure that seed got planted. I keep trying to water it. I think that something's supposed to happen here. And it wasn't until I came on staff here 
the interacting with you as the senior pastor and the rest of the staff and then getting to know the ministry that I have and then just everyone else here at the church, it, it all clicked and went, oh, none of this could have happened anywhere else. What God had kind of shown me way back when, this is the only time and place where that could actually happen. And it was, it wasn't that I was wrong the whole time. It's just that I wasn't patient. I wasn't mm-hmm. trusting him that that will happen at the right time. Mm-hmm. My only responsibility is just to be obedient on the daily thing. I don't have to try and force what he's telling me to do. Because, I mean, <laughs> I definitely didn't force coming to this church. Like, it just happened. And so that's a big thing with patience, especially when it comes to the God side of things, is that I can be impatient with myself. Mm-hmm. Why am I not as holy as I think that I should be? You know, with my family, with my ministry, with my anything, just trust him. And again, that's the trust and the doubt that really comes in. Mm-hmm. So if I can trust him, I can be patient. When I stop trusting him, the doubt comes in and I get impatient and like that's the thing that goes on. So that's kind of the thing that was hitting me with that is that was a really big lesson for me because that was such a big conviction in my heart throughout all of those years of just feeling like, what am I doing wrong? I'm not doing it right. I need to force this thing to happen. Like, who do I need to be talking to? What connections do I need to be making? This, 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 this. And like, oh, it was none of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just needed to be patient. And then looking back and going, oh, that was kind of like the Israelites. I was wandering around for 40 years rather than just going, oh, the promise line is right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just need to be a little patient and trust you and go for it. Yeah. I like how you brought that up. That's a really good point for people to remember is that uh, sometimes patience is asked of us and sometimes it's required of us. Like I thought of my kids instantly. You said that and like Reed will come in the morning. Hey, I want milk. He knows now. I'll get in a second. And that's usually means I'm going to roll over, fall back asleep for like 15 minutes until he comes bugs me again. But that's just me asking him to be patient. Or sometimes I have to tell him, I will just be patient. So that's me asking him to be patient. But sometimes, yeah, there's that patience that we need to just, you just need to wait. Like if I'm crossing the street, I need to wait or else a car's going to come and hit me. Like it's a safety reason. I think God puts us in very similar situations in our lives where sometimes it's an ask, just trust me but sometimes it's a requirement for protection. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, trust me, I've got you, then it's wait because I'm trying to protect you. Uh, so I like that. That was a really cool point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, the whole time we've been talking about patience, we started, you know, it was just like really made me think about the word trust. And you were talking about doubt and then kind of tying in trust to that, where is patience the requirement to work out our trust muscle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it is. Mm-hmm. So, so... When I'm being patient, if I'm faithfully being patient, and being patient scripturally isn't passive, it's actively trusting mm-hmm. God. You're doing your part. You're still being faithful, you know, in the things that God's asking you to do. And, and being a, a faithful dad, husband, you know, all those things, you're still being faithful. It's just you're having to wait, which again, I'm thinking, that's the trust part. They're so, like, interlinked, the trust and patience when i'm being faithfully patient i'm actually allowing that to uh, work on that trust muscle so that later on then i can be the one that's maybe walking someone else through whether it's like like with our kids we look at the kids and i've always thought i've learned so much about god and mm-hmm. myself in that this relationship <laughs> yes with my kids yes and now with my grandkids and what's funny is i get to watch my kids take care of their kids and then I just like laugh at some of the stuff. <laughs> it's like, okay, you get it. But just look, you look at your kids and you're, and you're like, why are you so impatient? 
okay, God, I get it. You're mirroring that for me to see uh, that. And I just need to learn that, well, this is kind of how the process works. As I grow in my trust, that trust muscle actually turns into the ability to be more patient, um, long-suffering. So patient, but then also to be able to help someone else that needs to understand this is a process. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you in it, so let's be patient with this because this is what's going to happen, like we do with our kids. And it's the same thing God is doing with us, saying, hey, this is a process, and I've got a, a, a huge purpose in this, and you're going to love it when we get through this. Yeah. But you're just going to have to be patient as you trust me with everything. Learning that things are a process. I still don't think that I've accepted that <laughs> as part of life. Is I understand it, right. therefore it should exist. <laughs> it just doesn't work that much, even yeah. though I want it so bad. Um, there's something that you brought up a minute ago about stopping at the red light and being patient. <laughs> Again, this is just my brain on the fly, which isn't a good thing, which is ad-libbing stuff. It's just horrible for me. But like, imagine you come up to that, right? And there's just a huge thing for some reason. Somebody had their horse out on the street, and there's a huge thing of manure like right next to where you're stopped at the red light. Man, it smells right here. I don't want to be here anymore. It's like, well, your option is stay here and wait to cross or walk into the busy street. And it's just like, your patience. It's better to be there in the stinky situation than to walk in front of a moving vehicle. And sometimes I feel like in my life it can be that. I can be like, not of my own doing. You just end up in a stinky situation. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, yeah, just be patient here. And we're like, we can start complaining and grumbling about mm-hmm. how much it smells and all of these things without the foresight of, could very well be worse. <laughs> right. and if God's asking me to be patient in this, like I should trust him, again, bringing up mm-hmm. trust, that this is the spot that I should be, and that it's a protective measure or a learning measure, or whatever that thing is, it's good for me to be here, even though in my view it stinks, and it might mm-hmm. actually stink. You know, mm-hmm. it might be a right. uh, crappy situation, but the thing of being patient is, yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not just, oh, be patient. Sometimes being patient is something that's not fun. Mm-hmm. Which I brought up Job, and that's where I was thinking that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the crap and not me this time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I liked all that. My turn. Uh, I'm going to actually do the warning and rich oppressors part, verses 1 through 6. I'm not going to read all of it, but basically he goes in there, Now listen, you rich people, weep and well because uh, of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. And then it goes into uh, verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay your workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvest have reached your ears uh, of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on the earth in luxury, self-indulgence, and you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Uh, you have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. And to me, it just was greed. That's what the big thing I kind of got out of this and the understanding of what wealth can come. And I don't know if it was so much of a conviction, like we talked about previously, like there's an ouch or an amen when you're reading the Bible, it either ouches you or amens you. And to me, this is an area in my life where I've always tried to like make sure I'm not going into like just chasing the pursuit of wealth or indulgence. And I don't think it's unhealthy to be wealthy. Abraham was a wealthy man. Um, but I also think there is a there are people who are probably capable of handling that. And there are people who aren't. And to me, this is just someone who gets into power. You abuse your power. You don't pay people the way you should because your greed does things. And you flaunt all your, your lifestyle to people. 
And then uh, the other part is um, the end. Uh, you condemn and murder innocent people. Basically, not maybe, this probably talking about murdering people legitimately, but I thought of like what we do to climb that corporate ladder and the relationships we destroy and the people we break just to achieve and get higher and higher mm -hmm. in status. I heard a, a comedian say, uh, if money could talk, the only thing it would say is goodbye. Because that's all it does. It's just, it's just constantly leaving our pockets. Let me introduce you to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> it says hello. <laughs> but it, it, to me, that was that. It was just mm -hmm. greed. That warning of, I know personally, I could fall into like, I get power, I'm going to oppress people. I get wealth, I'm going to flaunt it. When we get just a little bit of money, I think, I need a bigger TV. I have a big enough TV as mm -hmm. is, but my dad has a monster 86-something-inch TV, and I'm like, <laughs> that would look good in the sunroom. You know, like, it's this, this, I know what I would do with it, and I know this is a, a weak point. And I think if we as Christians don't attack or address our weak points in our faith, then we're just arrogant. And that kind of goes back to the praying and confessing sins, is that that's an area I know, watch out. And to me, it was just warning. Just like it says, warning, warning, warning. Mm -hmm. It was warning, Chris, don't be that person. Chris, don't be that person. Chris, don't be that person. I like how uh, in, in James throughout, he says, um, and even later in the past, we just talked about patience, dear brothers and sisters. And you have this kind of intro to these little sections, dear brothers and sisters. Here, it's like, look here, you rich people. <laughs> the verb like, changed. Boom. Yeah. So whether he's talking to uh, church members you know, Christians or non-Christians, it almost seems like he's talking to a non-Christian group in the area, community. Um, but, um, you know, my, my first response is, oh, good, he's not talking to me because I'm not one of those people. But as I, as I look through it, the, the part in this section that hit me was the, the last part, verse 5, where it says, You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. And I was like, uh, my wife and I just recently have been thinking about, especially with the COVID-19 and kind of kind of what's essential, what's not, but simplifying and realizing that, wow, we've, we've been spending money on things that we don't, we don't even need that. And it was just maybe convenient or it was part of what we did, you know, spending money on food, you know, going eating out versus just having dinner at home together and actually building that relationship. Uh, but it was like you spent your years on earth in luxury that it's it's the idea of, you know, you're either going to waste your life, spend your life or invest your life. And I felt like coming out of this part was. God saying to me, like, quit spending time and energy on things that don't really matter mm -hmm. eternally. And, you know, Jesus said it, you know, in Matthew 6, invest in treasures in heaven, not on earth, where moths and rust destroy, but uh, where it's eternal. And so I was just, we've been talking about how are we going to, you know, invest the rest of our life, whatever that is. I mean, because Jesus is at the door. <laughs> I mean, I don't, it's like kind of that weird thing, be patient, but be ready yeah, at any moment. Be ready, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's like, while you have this, how are you going to invest that blessing uh, for others 
especially if you see injustice or mistreatment or someone that needs help. You know, like we've already seen that in James, that mm-hmm. God has a special place in his heart for widows and orphans, for instance, and the kind of the um, marginalized people in society. So that that section kind of, you know, when I started out thinking, ah, let's talk about rich people, that's not me. But compared to the rest of the world, I am very rich, and how am I going to use that wealth to uh, bless others and invest mm-hmm. invest in eternity? Yeah, and saying like, oh, that's not me. That's kind of the thing with looking at this that I get, and kind of reading through a lot of scripture, we never want to associate ourselves with the bad guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, we're always here, right? And I don't know if that's just an American culture thing, that we're just like so much of, oh, I associate with the superhero and the good guy, and of course that's the thing. Like, is that the point of these stories? Like, Jesus' parables? is Sometimes you're the wrong side of things, and he's trying to expose that. Um, but especially when it comes to economic status and what goes on there, is I feel like we can always look at people who are richer than us and look at our own lack and almost be like, if you guys used what you had to fix our problems, that's what you should do because we have a struggle they're not doing that probably because that doesn't register in their daily mind at all. Unless somebody's been raised up in that and gone through that transition. Like anybody that's born into money, they don't know what it's like to not live that life. And especially because the ways that things happen, you know, culturally is all of your friends are like you and they spend money on the same things. And, you know, on each level as that goes up, everybody that lives in Beverly Hills, like, yeah, come over, we'll play tennis on my tennis court. (laughs) Like, you know, go swimming in my pool and all those things. They're not thinking about what it's like to live in Bellflower and to have that. But then when we take that and flip it around and go, okay, well, we're looking at what they could do for us. And you just brought it up around the whole world. We here in Bellflower, the three of us are richer than practically anybody. I mean, pick 10 people that exist right now. We're on that top percent. And that's where it really looks at unless we choose to expose ourselves to that because it won't happen naturally like just because of the neighborhood that we live in you're not exposed naturally to you know anything below that so it needs to be the willful going which is where we have mission trips right last year we went to tijuana and really went into some bad neighborhoods but even the neighborhoods that i saw us going to we were driving past the bad bad neighborhoods to where the guy that was leading goes yeah that's like where all the prostitutes walk and if We've gone in there a couple times, but we had to get permission, like basically from the pimp, mm-hmm. to go in because we were bringing medical supplies and food. And why would you choose to go there outside of the love of God moving in your life to sacrifice what it is that you have, your time, mm-hmm. your money, your resources, your whatever, and go into a risky spot and go and do that? And there's varying levels of risk. I mean, here in Bellflower, we see I can go to the store and pass how many homeless people on the way. Right. Am I going to choose to really interact there or just be aware of the problem? Mm-hmm. And that's really where it's like, where is it saying there? Weep and howl for the miseries that come upon you. If I'm not even open to considering that that would apply to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to let the word of God speak to me there. Because your riches have, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eating, your gold and silver have corroded. And they'll be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Laid up treasure in the last days. It's 
And again, to me, it comes down to the trust of God to where Jesus talked about, hey, don't you know the sparrows in the field? Like, you're much more valuable. The flowers that grow up, you're much more valuable. Like, they don't, animals don't store up storehouses. God takes care of them. Mm-hmm. Aren't you so much more valuable? Trust that God will take care of you. Mm-hmm. And not that we shouldn't be wise with our money and different things, but why am I not more generous? And I think that if I'm in the conviction mode, I'm not more generous because I'm relying so much on my own provision for myself. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like, oh, I can't give that away. Mm-hmm. Even, all right. <laughs> we are very blessed that we have big family and a lot of friends and people will just bless us with, with things. Like right now I've got two TVs that I'm not using that I've just had them sitting there with the mind of, I'll put them on Facebook Marketplace or I'll do something with that because I can make a couple bucks off them. They're probably worth like 25, 50 bucks, whatever someone will give me. I'm like, there's 50 to 100 dollars that I can get. And they just keep sitting there because I'm so busy with everything else and I'm getting just bogged down with these things that I own. And for anybody watching, like they're already spoken for. (laughs) But how many things are like that? And like my daughter, I mean, she was the first grandchild on the side for a lot of stuff. And she just presents, 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 because each person doesn't know that everybody's doing that. And just so much stuff. It's like, man, at what point do we just go, hey, you know what? An orphanage is now fully stocked based on your bedroom (laughs) or however that goes. And it's just, why do we need to hold on to these things? And he said, in light of eternity... What is this item? What does that 50 bucks matter as things go? Not that it might be a beneficial thing to give someone a TV, because that's probably a bigger (laughs) negative. But, yeah, I don't know. I just really feel like I struggle to let go of things. Like, I feel like it's my own provision for myself that I hold on to. I thought you said you weren't going to preach this. (laughs) (laughs) None of that's in the notes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I was thinking, too, about... Because I was um, I was convicted by something that really caught me off guard a couple of years ago. There was a, a a church in town that a new group was coming in to start a church, and and I was in a group myself and another one of our leaders were in this group with some pastors and leaders, and and um, a guy that was going to be the campus pastor of this other church was in that meeting, and they're doing a satellite campus here in Bethlehem. And so the guy that was the campus pastor had a t-shirt on and it had a picture of Bellflower and it was like reach Bellflower. And so someone said, Hey, so what's that? So I'm sitting there as the pastor of a church at Bellflower and one of our leaders next to me and, and the guy started talking about, Oh yeah, we're doing this and this and this. And they said, well, Bellflower, like, is that like inner city? And the guy was like, um, it's not like totally inner city, but it's pretty close. It's like, you know, around the edge, you know, so it's, it's kind of, and I'm, I was sitting there thinking, what? <laughs> you know, was like, there was kind of this, almost like this thing kicked in, like, I'm not one of those people. So didn't say anything and it was all a good conversation, but we got in the car and we were driving. And I said, Hey, so did that bother you when the guy started talking about Bellflower being like, inner city he was like yeah it was kind of weird like we don't think of it like that right and i said you know what it really made me think about is like sometimes we're thinking hey we're gonna go to tijuana mm-hmm. and we're gonna bless those people because we have what they need i said it really convicted me like we want to love on those people and really find out what they do need not go in with this attitude mm-hmm. this arrogant 
look here, you rich people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go in humbly to bless because God's blessed you, not to in any way like build up that arrogance of we're better than you. And it really, I, I don't know, it just kind of came to me out of left field. Like God, like almost felt like God slapped me about that. Like <laughs> when you go, go in grace and humility. Don't go to be the savior. Mm -hmm. I'm the savior. <laughs> You're not, you know, so go love people. And again, it, in this conversation, it kind of reminded me of that, you know, invest in eternity and love on people, no matter who they are. As we wrap up James chapter five and the whole book, is there anything you would want to say about James, like the book itself? Kind of put you on Man, the spot. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, you guys call this the conviction series. I, I, I'm not sure there would be a better letter in the New Testament to use for the conviction series. I think all the way through it, it's it's been that. And to be able to look at it in the lens of not so much, because as a preacher, sometimes I get so in the mode of, this is for you people, mm -hmm. and not holding that mirror up and, saying, and, and hearing God say, no, this is for you because as a pastor, as a shepherd, this is what you're, you need to hear. And then I want you to hear it and feel it and experience it. So then the overflow of that comes out into the, into the body, you know? So it's just been a great walk through James. And I've never actually done a series through, through James, read it many times, thought, man, that's a, such a practical you know, applicable book in so many areas and, and walking through, it's been, been amazing. So for you guys to invite me to come into this and, and jump ahead on chapter five and kind of uh, get even some more perspective on, it's been great. So I appreciate you guys inviting me here. Thank you for coming. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's it for the conviction series. Uh, we are done. I need to go to a doctor and get band-aids because I've got ouches everywhere. Are <laughs> uh, they for your back? Or no, <laughs> probably, yeah. That, no, the drugs are kicking in. Or the prayer. One of them's working. Um, but I'm Chris. Murdoch. And this is Pastor Ken. We are your church friends. Thanks for watching. Chris here, and I just wanted to say thank you all for listening to the Conviction Series. We hope you enjoyed listening to what convicted us from the book of James. It was raw, difficult, and very personal for us, especially in 2020. Hopefully, as you journeyed with us through this short series, you allowed God's word to convict you in areas that were needed as well. Like we said during the series, if you can't say amen, you gotta say ouch. Thanks again, and next week we are back in The Forgotten Books of the Bible.